Well, this is the best day of the year, isn't it, really? It's the best day of the year. Because all the agony and disappointment and pain of Good Friday is behind us, and we can rejoice once again knowing that Jesus is alive. Now, Jesus actually arose from the dead and appeared to a whole number of people, and usually we know what went on between the risen Lord and the people to whom he appeared. But there is one exception, and we hear about it in Luke chapter 24. Now, I don't know whether you remember what happened in Luke 24. You probably don't, so I'll tell you. It was that wonderful time when two disciples on their way home to Emmaus, and they were disappointed and depressed and unhappy, and they met the risen Lord Jesus, and they didn't realize that it was Jesus. And then all of a sudden, they twigged that he had actually risen from the dead, and so they rushed straight back to Jerusalem, seven miles. It was seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Now, you think of that, seven miles to Emmaus, and then immediately seven miles back, 14 miles. What do you think about that? That's, that's some achievement, isn't it? And they were bursting with this good news, and they burst into the room where the other disciples were, and of course it wasn't news at all. The people who were there already wanted to tell them, the Lord has risen. It's true, the Lord has risen, and has appeared to Simon. Now, that's all we know about Jesus' appearance to Simon. We don't know what was said. We don't know how long it took. We don't know where it happened. And I've often wondered why. Was it because what was said was so intimate, so special to Peter, that he couldn't bear to share it? He shared all the details of his denial, didn't he? But we don't know what happened when Jesus first met Peter. I feel... So sorry for Peter, because you know what happened, don't you? He had said to Jesus, don't worry, Lord, I'm with you through thick and thin. Even if I have to give my life, I'll be with you. I'll never let you down. And he'd been with Jesus and the rest of the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. And when the people who had come with Judas to arrest Jesus had come, Peter had actually taken his sword and begun to defend Jesus in a, in, a, in a violent way. Jesus had put a stop to that. No, I don't want that. Put, put your sword away. When Jesus was arrested, almost all the disciples had run away. Not Peter and John. John actually followed to the high priest's house, and Peter close behind. John was to stand at the foot of the cross later on. But what happened to Peter? Well, he was there in the shadows. What was he thinking about? Was he remembering what he'd said to Jesus? I'll stand by with you, by you. I won't desert you. And then a servant girl came up to him and asked a question. Just a simple question. You're one of this man's disciples, aren't you? And somehow all his bravado melted away. And with curses and swearing, he 
He said he'd never even met this wretched man, Jesus. Who is he? I don't know him. I've never met him. And realizing the enormity of what he'd done, and realizing, too, that Jesus had heard every word, he just turned around and rushed out into the darkness, crying till his heart would break. So, Peter was like most of us, because you see, unlike Edith Piaf, most of us do have regrets, don't we? We look back over the years, and we remember things we wish we'd never done, words we wish we'd never spoken, wasted opportunities, friendships allowed to die, relationships spoilt. It's a pointless exercise, of course, because regretting never changed anything. Or did it? <laughs> they say what's done can't be undone. I wonder. You see, one of the wonderful things about Easter Sunday is that because Jesus rose from the dead, all Peter's humiliation, all his regrets could be turned right around. 360, or rather, no, 180 degrees. That's right. Remember your maths, Martin. All his humiliation, all his regrets could be turned right round. And if the risen Lord could do it for Peter, he can do it for you, and he can do it for me. Because you see, maybe there's someone here this morning whose hopes have been crushed, whose dreams have been unfulfilled years ago, even only a few years ago. Perhaps you had dreams, you had aspirations, you had things that you longed for. But somehow, as the years have gone by, something's gone wrong. And the dreams aren't there anymore. They've all collapsed. You meant to do well, but things somehow ended up wrong. It's to just that kind of loss of hope and disappointment that the resurrection of Jesus can bring a new beginning. And the verse I want to bring to you this morning is verse 3 of 1 Peter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, you know, sermons can be very boring. Very, very, very boring. Especially when the minister says, I have a number of points I want to bring to you this morning. Firstly, secondly, 14thly, 22ndly, 48thly, and you think, when is this wretched man going to shut up? Well, I'm going to give you two points this morning, just two. Only two. What do you mean? Oh. <laughs> Never mind the quantity, feel the width. Just two points. Because, you see, Peter talks about two things in that verse, doesn't he? He talks about new birth, and a living hope. So those are the two things I want to talk about this morning. What does he mean by new birth? Well, the experience of being born again is different for everyone. Some people, of course, can tell you the exact date and time when they gave their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ, when they became Christians, but for others, 
they only gradually come to realize their standing in Christ. But however it happens, when someone becomes a Christian, there's got to be a new beginning. There's a lovely chapter in St. John's Gospel, chapter 9. It's a wonderful story. It's about a man who was born blind. And he gets into all sorts of hot water with the religious authorities. And they're questioning him again and again and again about how he was healed of his blindness. In the end, he says, look, I only know one thing. I was blind, now I see. And in a sense, that's all that matters in the Christian life, to know that once you didn't know Jesus, but now you do. The old human nature must be left behind so that the new life created and sustained by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit can bring new life to birth. Now, has it happened to you? You know that's the most important question anyone will ever ask you, don't you? Because actually, where you will spend eternity depends on the answer. Just think about that for a moment. Has it happened to you? How I wish I could share the thrill of knowing Jesus for the first time with those who don't yet know him. You don't need qualifications. All you need is to know that you're a sinner who needs a savior. He'll do the rest. In fact, he already has done all the rest. By dying on the cross, he's paid the price for your sins and made it possible for you to have eternal life. By rising from the dead, He's given you the opportunity to share that living hope of which verse 3 speaks. I'll say more about that in a moment, but don't make the mistake of thinking that all your problems will automatically be solved. Being born again certainly transfers you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's Son, but babies have to grow, don't they? They can't stay babies, and sometimes it's difficult. Johnny Cash was a country and western singer, and this is how he describes his experience. A few years ago, I was hooked on drugs. I dreaded to wake up in the morning. There was no joy or peace or happiness in my life. Then one day, in my helplessness, I turned my life completely over to God. Now I can't wait to get up in the morning to study my Bible. Sometimes the words of Scripture leap into my heart. This doesn't mean that all my problems have been solved or that I've reached a state of perfection. But my life has been turned around. I've been born again. Sometimes I I envy people like that because, you see, I never had a dramatic conversion experience. I was a good boy. I uh, grew up in a respectable home. I was... Dragged along to Sunday school every afternoon, Sunday afternoon. But I know I've been born again. It happened to me when I was around about 19. I began to understand what it meant to say that Jesus had died for me. I didn't really understand until that time. And that moment was only the beginning. You see, it's only as the years have gone by that I've discovered the real 
vitality and power of Jesus' risen life. It's almost as if all those years ago, he gave me a birthday present that I've been unwrapping ever since. He told me that I didn't have to make myself good in order to be loved by him. He loved me just as I was, but he loved me enough to make sure that I didn't stay as I was. And he loves you in just the same way. Can you grasp that, friends? Do you know that? That the creator of the universe loves you. He knows everything about you. He knows all the secrets that other people don't know. He, loves the, he knows the worst things that you will ever do. And he loves you just the same. Not because of what you are, but in spite of what you are. Because he wants to make you into the kind of person you long to be, but can't make yourself. That's what it means to be born again. Well, so much for new birth. Now let's have a look at living hope. I often use this verse, 1 Peter 1, 3, at funeral services because it speaks of a living hope. Can you turn me down, Richard, please? As Ken Dodd used to say, by Jove, I needed that. A living hope. Now, hope isn't normally in abundance at funeral services. Grief, pain, anger, loss, there's usually plenty of them, but what about hope? No, not really. Sometimes folk express a kind of sentimental fancy that he or she has gone to a better place, but that's as far as it goes. More often, if they're honest, Philip Yancey's description of a funeral he attended in Africa characterizes what most people think. The corpse was there in an open coffin and everyone was standing round. There they were gazing at the corpse and they were all given a peppermint to suck. Very important to remember in those kind of funerals you've got to have a peppermint for everybody to suck. And as they gazed and sucked the peppermints gradually faded away until there was nothing left. And that apparently was a lesson to them that for this person, life had faded away. It had gone. It was just not there anymore. And that was all they had. Now, as Christian people, we have something else. We have a different story. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But let's just think about hope for a few moments. There's a wonderful medical professor in Harvard, one of the most prestigious universities in America, and he diagnoses many, many people with terrible, serious diseases. And he's discovered that in all of them, there is a longing for a sense of genuine hope. Indeed, he says, hope is as important to them as anything I might prescribe as a physician. So, what is hope? 
Well, this is how he defines it. He says, basically, I think hope is the ability to see a path to the future. You're facing dire circumstances. Everything conspires to block and threaten you. Then you see a path or a potential path to get to where you want to be. And once you see that, a tremendous emotional uplift occurs. And he goes on, I think hope has been, is, and always will be at the heart of medicine and healing. We couldn't live without hope. Even with all the medical technology available to us now, we still come back to this profound human need to believe that there is a possibility to reach a future that is better than the one in the present. So how do we get hold of hope like that? It's no just good just talking about it. How do we get hold of it? Well, we get hold of it by realizing the power and significance of Jesus' resurrection. We can say with Peter, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Think of it. All those things you wish you'd never done and the bitter, critical, thoughtless words you wish you'd never spoken. Think of the way they've spoiled your life and held you back. Think of the damage they've done to other people. And now, understand this. A man who denied Jesus Christ at the moment of his greatest need could begin again with all his regrets behind him. He could tell from his own experience of a living hope that allows us to face death unafraid because death has been defeated. Jesus has conquered it and he invites us to share his victory. One of the awful things about sub-Saharan Africa at the moment is that there are bands of terrorists who kidnap innocent bystanders and hold them to ransom. Only a few weeks ago, a French family was held in precisely that way. Now, how would you feel if you had been kidnapped and you were being held by a bunch of terrorists, people who would rather kill you than let you escape. And you heard that some brave people had tried to rescue you and had been killed in the attempt. How do you feel? Well, you'd feel grateful, wouldn't you, for their bravery. But you'd feel pretty helpless because you'd still be in the hands of the terrorists. Now, if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, we would be in exactly the same situation. And all, all the hope, all the longings of Jesus coming into the world would have been one great failure. We'd still be in Satan's dungeon, held in the power of sin, but the resurrection says he didn't fail. He didn't come and try and rescue you and fail in the attempt. He succeeded. He smashed death into tiny little pieces so that as you and I live our lives, we can live with a living hope. I feel so sorry for people who don't understand either the love of God or the victory of God. I want, to, I want to hold him in my arms and I want to say, do you realize how much God loves you? Do you realize what he's achieved in the Lord Jesus Christ? 
Do you realize it can change your life totally? Do you realize all the things you regret as you look in the past can be turned right round? He did it for Peter, and he can do it for you. Jesus conquered the grave. And let me turn your minds just very briefly to that wonderful passage from Revelation. There he is. One like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his waist. His head and hair, white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes blazing fire. His feet like burning bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and death's domain. That is the risen Christ, and he stands here before you.